I'm Russ Boris, and this is 8-Track. Our guest today is an actress, singer, and songwriter who recently released her second album, Moss. You also know her as Robin Buckley on the Netflix series Stranger Things. Happy to welcome Maya Hawk to the show. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for doing this, Maya. I love this uh, playlist and this theme that you have here because it is about the sweetest one I think we've had on the show thus far. Songs I wouldn't have found without my friends. And it just, I feel like we're going to open up a whole other dialogue uh, over the course of the next eight songs. So I'm really curious to kind of get into it. I would just say that like, this playlist I really love and I think does a really good job of kind of opening into what my musical life is and my life creatively generally, which is just hugely influenced by my friends. And that the thing, the only thing I think I'm really good at um, in life is having good taste in people and in collaborators, especially. And it's my favorite thing in the whole world. It's what I love about making movies is bringing people together and everyone's different imagination comes together and you make up one story. It's what I love about making music is you get a lot of people in a room and create something together. And so every song on this playlist was sent to me by a friend. And all of these friends are a big part of, if not the only reason why I'm like a happy person um, who likes to make music and make art. and. So this is like a big, a big thank you to my friends playlist. That's awesome. Thanks for setting it up uh, in such a very rich way. Um, could you tell me a little bit about this Nick Hakim song and why this was a choice for you? Well, first of all, the song was sent to me by my, my friend named Spencer. And I have learned a lot about music from him. He's a great like music producer himself and like knows how to use all the apps and computers and like will sit by himself and just build things and I I'm always trying to find this sound in my own music it's sort of like when music has a pulse instead of a beat where something really drives you forward like you could exercise to it or work out to it but you could also fall asleep to it or cry to it And there are a few songs that fit in with that and that really have this momentum forward while still feeling really relaxing to listen to. And I was talking to him about that quality in music that I'm sort of striving to find and figure out. And, and he sent me this song. I've been having this joke with my band that I'm now putting on merch, um, which is that the genre of music that I'm making is pop punk ASMR. And I don't know that it actually is pop punk ASMR, like my music, but I definitely think this song is pop punk ASMR.
That was perfectly set up in that, you know, there is a driving component to it, but at the same time, it is pretty relaxing. So I did kind of find both sides. I was like, oh, she's spot on with that description. Thank you. I mean, I think it's just a pretty spot on song. And even like that chorus of Let It Happen is sort of that feeling that I'm looking for. You know, I think generally in an interdisciplinary way in art, it's like you, you want to build up the pressure and then you want to release the nozzle and let it happen. Like, let it flow. And I think that that's, I don't know, you want a steady stream. And like, I feel like that song, obviously it's it, the kind of mass of the lyrics is, is more about a relationship. But to me, I mean, I don't know, we all have, our, we all have many relationships in our life. And it also feels like a song I listen to and I think about creativity and like letting that happen. Talk to any acupuncturist or massage therapist, like we hold so much tension and pressure in our bodies and hearts and minds. And it's like creativity is a way to, for us to release some of that tension and, and just kind of let it happen. Is that how you, you know, usually focus that for yourself through writing? Yeah, I think so. When did that start? When did you first start writing songs? When I was really young. I mean, I think I also released it as an actor and as a performer. Like, it all is a different different kinds of release. Um, but I started writing songs when I was like eight or nine and short stories and like making paintings. It all feels the same to me. Um, and it's like a, a way to be seen, I guess. Um, and obviously there's a way of looking at be seen from a sort of more global perspective, but from a very young age, and I think still, I think I meant it more personally, like to be seen by a certain individual. And I still think my motivation for writing a lot of things is to try to communicate a point I'm trying to make to somebody or a feeling I'm trying to express to a specific person or situation, because it's so hard to listen to people. I find it hard to listen and and to really hear what they mean versus what you're afraid they're trying to say to you, what you want them to say to you, what you want to hear or what you're afraid to hear. And I think through art, we're much better at listening to each other. There's just a different way that you can interpret that, that maybe you're, the way the words don't come across, the visual might, or there's something in a lyric that, okay, I didn't speak these words but I sung them or I wrote them down and somehow what I'm trying to get in my brain is, is translating that way to the other person. Yeah, exactly. I also think there's a level of effort that goes into making a song or a story or a play or even a letter that doesn't feel as present if you're just speaking to someone. And the effort behind the creation makes you listen to it differently, I think. and 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 believe it more. I love your next choice because it's one of my favorite songwriters who I just think has the most unique spin on life and the world and relationships, and that's Stephen Merritt and the Magnetic Fields. And so you chose uh, Papa Was a Rodeo. I like your twisted point of view, Mike. I like your 
questioning eyebrows. This song was sent to me by Christian Lee Hudson, who is an amazing songwriter in his own right, and also was a co-writer on a bunch of songs on my record. And that's how we became friends and how I met him. And he recently did an opening tour for the Magnetic Fields. When he was doing it, made me a playlist and sent me a lot of Magnetic Field songs. And I've been obsessed with them ever since. And this is the first Magnetic Field song he ever sent to me. And I think as a, as a lyricist, he's just so strong. Papa was a rodeo, Mama was a rock and roll band. I could play guitar and rope a steer before I learned to stand. Home was anywhere with diesel gas, love was a trucker's hand. Never stuck around long enough for a one night stand. Before you kiss me, you should know. I think sometimes you can get almost distracted by the richness and deepness of Stephen's voice that you almost don't pay attention to how good his lyrics are, mm. um, especially if you haven't really gone deeper into the catalog. The light reflecting off the mirror ball Looks like a thousand swirling eyes I mean, he's such a little twisted twister about relationships and life and his observations are so smart. You know, every minute someone dies. I've always been a big fan for obvious reasons. I think of like movies about movies and songs about songwriters and like art about art, basically. And I, I know it's not for everyone. And, you know, I'm asked to talk a lot about this in different ways, and but it's always nice to bring it up myself. But I, I really grew up in such an artistic community and really just haven't known any other way in life. Papa was a rodeo, Mama was a rock and roll band. I love this song because it, it feels like it really captures that sense of like not knowing any other way but being a migratory bird. Like that feeling of being stuck in how much you move around. Never stuck around long enough for a one-night stand. Before you kiss me, you should know. Papa was a rodeo. That you're always hotel to hotel, place to place, person to person. And the kind of pain and loneliness of that and the inescapability of it as a sensation. And that's, I don't know, it's just the first time I heard it, I, I wept listening to that song. Stephen had done um, a guest DJ set for us a number of years ago, which was almost the, the sort of introduction to what this show became. And his playlist was songs that make me cry but aren't sad. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's a great playlist. And it's a total window right into the psyche and the soul of that writer and that individual, for sure. I'd love to get that track list. Yeah, I think we've got it somewhere. I still feel like crying when I think of what you said to me. So we've got another great writer here in that um, the iteration of Will Oldham known as Bonnie Prince Billy uh, alongside Harem Scarum and 
and Alex Nielsen in a song called uh, Wolf Among Wolves. She loves a soul that I have never been Dog among dogs and a man among men Tell me a little bit about this one. So, I mean, I love Bonnie Prince Billy so much and never would have found him if it wasn't for Will Grace, who um, is also a friend and played guitar on my first record, Blush, and played guitar and wrote songs, as well as a variety of other things on this new record, Moss. Um, and it's just one, one of my best friends in the whole wide world and introduced me to this song, I think really deep in the pandemic, um, just texted it to me. And I am not averse to how she loves him, but why must I live and walk unloved as what I am? There is such a natural ache to Will Oldham's voice that I've always just completely identified with it, that even if it's a happier song, it just doesn't feel like it, you know? It just always has some sort of somber vibe. Well, it has that wonderful quality of being like, sounding slightly broken, but still being able to do everything that you want it to do. And that's the goal, you know, it's like, has that kind of, like a overused tool in your toolbox, but you, you can't throw away because it's still the only wrench that ever is the right size. You know, it's like, um, somehow fixes anything. You can't teach that though, I don't think, right? No, I think you can just wear it in. Um, and, and have it in your soul or something. I, I don't know, but I, I love, love that song and the, why can't I be a wolf among wolves and not a man among men? I, sometimes I think I feel like we're all just pretending to be human. Like we're all just like aliens or, or wolves in human suits and we like zip into them in the morning and we're like, this is how a human drinks coffee. This is how a human speaks into a microphone. And I think sometimes there's this feeling of wanting to give that up and let let it down and just be a wolf and like howl at the moon for a while and that's what that song feels like to me it's like just a howling and that's what his voice feels like to me is a, ho- a howl and she craves a hole that she can go in a sheltered cave that i have never seen It also just in the construction of it and in the instrumentation of it has such like looseness where it feels like the decisions are being made like emotionally in the moment, but it also all works so well and rises and falls. And I don't know, I'm a big fan. Why can't I be How do you let that side out? I mean, do you just do you just let the art, you know, kind of bring that 
not human or whatever that animalistic instinct is out. I don't know how to let the wolf out. I think art's one of the best ways, it's like the safest ways that it hurts the fewest people. I think a lot of people pick different ways to let their wolves out. But I think that, yes, yeah, sports, sports and art are, are probably some of the safest ways. Is there any hesitation in that, you know, where you'll be seen differently or you might feel like you're going to be seen differently? Any way I would be seen differently would be a, a different way I'd want to be seen. I've had, I've had interest that is like, I think, societal and cultural in being seen as like a porcelain doll or something. But the real true way that I would want to be seen, I'd be seen much more clearly as that through figuring out ways to let the wolf out. Is it hard when you have to have, you know, the identifiers of like, all right, well, I'm an actress and I'm a singer and I write songs and all these, like there have to be those labels where for you, it's just like, this is just stuff that I do and they're different aspects of me as a person and as a human being. Yeah, I mean, I think that creativity and capitalism is always complicated. Um, Not to be too buzzwordy about it, but like creativity and capitalism involves figuring out the thing that you're doing and giving it a, a name so that it can go into a category so that it can be marketed in that category. And like, it doesn't bother me. I think that, you know, there's a certain amount of pretension maybe in um, trying to do different things or calling yourself by different names. And I think pretentiousness is very unappealing in young people, but I think you grow into it. If you're good at it, what are you supposed to do? Ignore it. You know, you're, you're supposed to be who you are. And if you feel like it's it's bringing out, like if there's joy and love in what you're doing, then what is the reason to hesitate, you know? I mean, I think for me in, in my life, not much. I mean, the world is ending. The internet's weird. You know, people will say things. They hurt, but it's okay, you know? I say things. It's, it's we're, we're all just people, big blowholes. So very flawed. So very flawed. All right. So the next choice we have on here is Anais Mitchell and My Hawk's playlist today is uh, songs I wouldn't have found without my friends. So who set up Anais for you? Benjamin Lazar Davis, who produced Moss. Ridiculous musician. He's you know his music. Yes. He's insane. Uh, Benjamin is, um, you know, he's been here a number of times oh, with Will when they played in Ockerville River and, and done a bunch of things with us. I mean, just a next level kind of music guy and, and musician. Very talented. He's, I, I've gotten so lucky with the musicians I've been allowed to be surrounded by. Um, I mean, you know, I hunt them down and select them specifically, but it's there's still a lot of luck involved. But... Um, yeah, Ben's so brilliant and amazing, and he, he loves Anais Mitchell so much, and so do I now. Um, and he sent me this song. On your way, on the F train in the dark, on your way, you were wearing your guitar. Solo show, Lower East Side, no one show, sing the B-Side. He and I just went on tour together. We opened for Faye Webster, who I love, and we had a lot of long debates. Like, I really love talking to him. And our brains work really differently in the ways that we tackle music and, and subjects. You 
But we usually find that we agree somewhere, and I, I honestly can't remember what particular fight we were having. Not a real fight, but like, you know, a, a debate, what particular debate we were having that Ben won with this song. But he used this song to win a fight with me. So putting it on this playlist is me acquiescing. So maybe we file that under the sort of art about art discussion we had earlier? I think for sure, yeah, I think we do. And I also think we file it under the, like, pulse, too. I mean, this is such a stupid way to talk about music, but, like, as someone who rides a lot of planes, I take a lot of plane rides, I really like making playlists where, like, when I'm listening to it, it, like, makes me feel alive. But if I fall asleep, it's not going to wake me up. You know, like where you can put your headphones on and be in your own little world and feel alive inside of yourself. And then also let yourself drift into dreamland and let that music help guide you through that other plane as well. And I feel like this song has that pulse to it and this gentleness and her voice, totally different than Bonnie, but really feels so optimistic to me. Even when it's singing devastatingly sad lyrics, there's some kind of smile hidden in the corners of her expression that fills me with hope, and I love it so much. All right, so Benjamin is responsible for that one, and we tip the hat to him. He has one. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, so we uh, we moved to just an incredible collection from a couple of years back from the High Women, and this is like the... I, I mean, I'm obviously more interested in what you think, but this song to me is just sort of like that you know, family gathering holiday, like it's not a holiday song, but it just feels so perfect for every get together and gathering and family uh, organization of some kind. So this is Crowded Table. So tell me about this one. Yeah, this song was sent to me by Willa Fitzgerald, who's a really old friend of mine. I did my first job ever with her Little Women for the BBC. I played Joe and she played Meg. Um, and we've been pretty inseparable ever since. And as a friend, she knows me really well and knows that kind of my greatest dream in the world as a human being is to have a house with a crowded table. But that that's not necessarily the traditional dream of like kids, family, uncles, all that stuff. It's more about friends, which I think connects to the playlist at large, um, which is this sense of wanting to fill your life and your home with your chosen family and to keep choosing each other. You can hold my when you need to let go. Something that can happen and then I've watched happen in different adults' lives around me is like, as you have kids and as you your friendships start to play second fiddle, you know, sometimes you'll go on a big group vacation or you'll have other people home for Christmas, but you get kind of pulled away from each other and into your own insular bubbles. And a, a great fantasy of mine is figuring out a way to have that not happen. 
to live on a big piece of land somewhere out in the middle of nowhere with all my friends and they all have their own separate little houses where they can live their life and raise their kids and have their family. But we all get together at a big crowded table and dinners and sit by the fireplace and make music and read plays out loud. If we wanna go. I'm not saying that dream will ever come true, but it's the greatest fantasy of my life. And this song feels so perfectly to be about that to me. And without this kind of like linearness of there needing to be a bloodline. You know, if you want a garden, you're gonna have to plant the seeds. It's like, you can have that dream till the cows come home, but you've got to build it. Like, you've got to build spaces for people. You've got to invite them back. You've got to take the time out to be with people. Sort of hop off the treadmill of like, go, 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 and, and build these places where people can come and be together and, and these moments and times. Oh no, it's it's just that song warms my heart. Everybody you know lives all over the place, and our phones, I feel like, can make us feel like we always have everyone at our fingertips. But it's not the same. And you really have to cut that time out and not just make plans to make plans, but make plans and commit to them. Like they will work, you know, like there's something you have to do, not just something you want to do. What I love about that song and the feeling it expresses specifically is that my favorite time to spend with friends is like, making a movie or going on tour or spending a week together. When you spend enough time with people that you're not catching up anymore, you're just being together. And that like, if you wanna to go to your room and take a nap for an hour or whatever, like, no big deal. That person will be there. I'm not, this isn't my bookshelf. I've been living with a friend of mine this month while I've been visiting LA and that kind of quality time of living with somebody where you get home at the end of the night after having dinner with someone else and get in bed next to them and watch a movie, um, it's just, I don't know, there's nothing like that kind of quality time. You started working in, in an earlier age, a younger age than, than many people do, and so do you think the dream kind of comes from, you know, having to work earlier than, uh, than others? I, I don't know. I mean, I think that people definitely get that crowded table feeling at college. I've been watching it happen to my brother, and you know, in there, they're all living together in a house off campus, him and all his best friends, and um, and they have a crowded table. And I think there's a tremendous loneliness. I mean, that goes back to Papa Was a Radio. Um, I think there's a tremendous loneliness in the style of work that I've been doing since I was 19. Because you're always going to new places with new people, having to build new friendships, um, have new experiences. And that's wonderful and an incredible thing, but it doesn't give you that sense of like chosen family bubble that I feel like you, my brother has in their house that they're staying in in college. And 
I mean, sometimes it does. I had an amazing experience. I did a movie with Wes Anderson last year and he really gets the crowded table energy going because he brings back the same cast all the time. And, you know, unlike most movie sets, he makes sure everyone's staying in the same hotel together and that everyone sits at one big long table and, and eats dinner together every night after shooting. And it's a really beautiful tradition and, and beautifully executed on his part. And it moved me deeply to be a part of it, even for a moment. But I, I think probably because my life has lacked a little bit of crowded table energy, I long for it particularly. So your next song is by Joanna Sternberg and it's called Step Away. Can you talk about this one for us? Yeah, this song is sent to me by my brother, um, Levon. And uh, it's on the newer side or a newer artist, I guess, a younger artist. Um, and uh, the production of it, you would never know. It sounds like it could be a hundred years old um, in the way that this song sounds and the authenticity of her voice and the simplicity of the production. And because the production is so simple, you really feel how good this song is because it really stands on its own just as a song. And it's also quite funny and, and, and great. Step away from me now I can't see there's not a thing that I can do I haven't done before Step away from me, dear It's so easy to see Cause anyone who's watching knows You're too beautiful for me There is a really interesting old-timey quality to that, for sure. You know, almost feels like sugary or something. But it also has this great sense of humor about it, where it also isn't self-aware about making a joke. Like, I feel like I love Father John Misty, but he's very self-aware of the jokes that he's made. Like, you can hear kind of the, the grin. And I tried to kill it, but got smacked in my face. Now I'm trembling and I'm trying to get out of this place. There's something so beautiful and like devastating and sad. Anyone who's watching knows you're too beautiful for me. But then kind of the simultaneous irony of like, who could possibly be too beautiful for you, Joanna? Like this song is amazing. And then it's like, I, I don't know, that feeling of like being in front of a dessert or something and being like, ooh, get that away from me. I can't even look you in the eyes anymore. Every day you look much better than you once looked before. Like, I don't dessert, ah, and that's like the smallest, lamest version. Don't ever send the dessert away. <laughs> You've earned the dessert, right? Come on. I, I mean, I think so. I mean, yeah. but yeah, I just, I love that song and I love my brother and his taste in music. And I rely on him deeply to make sure that I don't get too uncool. He's very cool. There's not a thing that I can do haven't done before. Step away from me, dear. It's so Too beautiful for me. 
Is that always been the case, like, you know, looking to uh, to the cooler music and having him to guide? I don't know. I think we've we've taken our turns. Um, you know, I'm his big sister, so for a while he thought I was cool. But now we've both come to learn how deeply untrue that is and that uh, he's much cooler. And I, I aspire to be like him and in so many ways. You know, but I think that's the great thing about sibling relationships is that, like, they're ever flowing. You know, you're like best friends as little kids and then you're at each other's throats as teenagers and then you have a moment of distance as you both go off into the world and then you find each other as the most important people in your life for me at least that's beautiful there is something to be said though of like when you have those moments where you're clashing but the second somebody else steps to that you know then you're like oh no no I can give this guy a hard time. You can't give this guy a hard time. I mean, absolutely. I I feel more protective over my siblings in that way than almost anyone else in the world. It's like, yeah. oh, wait. <laughs> All right. So the next one we have on the list is a song called Maybe by Dan Reeder. What's the story with this one? This song was also sent to me by Christian Lee Hudson. Um, when I was first getting to know him and we were kind of exchanging music as we were making this album to like, get to know each other better. and. I ended up sending this song to my dad. So it went through a, a journey, um, as I'm sure all songs do, um, of just sent from person to person. Now that we have these magical devices that let us just transport music to our friends and family, um, I think that's a very good way to keep in touch with your crowded table. Um, but I don't know, I, I loved it so much. And it has a kind of similar sonic quality to Step Away and a profound sense of humor. Um, and Dan Reeder, I, I mean, I think I understand correctly, is like is sort of a super kind of backdoor musician, like Blaze Foley or something where like his tapes were found in his garage and like he just, he's, he's never really publicized himself very much. Um, and it's just based on the quality of the songs. And I, I love Dan Reeder. I love his voice. I love this song. It's really smart and, and thoughtful. First guy I knew who died, can't remember his name. The 10th grade started, he just never came again. All his friends sat around and cried for a day or two. You can say what you want about a mortal soul. When that guy died, it left a hole. It was my first clue that when they're gone, they're gone. It's such a vulnerable thing to talk about as big a thing as death. And he does it with these, like, vignettes of the experience of really feeling a loss. Um, we have all these ways of separating ourselves from the loss with stories and religion and mythology and ideas about people never disappearing. And they don't in so many ways. Their memory, their idea of them, their the work that they've achieved in their life. But our experience on earth, especially with people that you love, not just people whose work you admire, whatever is that like when people go, they go. Maybe Jesus beat that rap, we're not sure. Maybe you can live forever. If your heart is pure, maybe you'll come back someday as a king prom. Maybe angels come and take you away to heaven or the other way, but from down here it appears that when they're gone, they're gone. They at least go out of out of your life, your plane of understanding, our narrow window of consciousness, and to kind of go after such a big idea with so much humor 
and sensibility and, and spunk almost. The guitar playing is so spunky to me. Um, it's so brave and beautiful and comforting. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are or where you are or what your upbringing is. I mean, everybody still, there's always going to be that human connection to both love and death that is undeniable and everyone experiences on some level. It's just how you're coping with it or how you view it, how it evolves over time. It can be heavy on both sides. Yeah. My mother died in intensive care. We were sitting around singing on folding chairs when I got the feeling somebody wasn't there. Well, I counted noses, but it came out right. Doctors say she died that night, but I felt that hole and I knew that she was gone. And that feels less heavy to me. Yeah, I mean, because it's so open, I think. I think that, like, in repression and a loneliness, things get so heavy. But when you open up the door of discussion and open up your thought process, like, I looked up death in the dictionary one day. I looked up death in the dictionary one day just to see what the dictionary had to say. It's the complete and irreversible cessation of life functions. Which is not very poetic, but it's precise and clean. And if you analyze it, what that means is when they're gone, they're gone. That's, I think, how we deal with, or one way I deal with, all the different kind of big moments of life, love and death and grief and guilt, is you like, go to your references. Maybe angels come and take you away to heaven or the other way, but from down here it appears that when they're gone, they're gone. You're like, wow, I'm really heartbroken. Like, what did that person do? What did Dan Reeder do? You know, what did Taylor Swift do? You go to your catalog of your references. What did Shakespeare do with the feeling of being heartbroken? What did Emily Dickinson do? And that's when we really have a deep need for poetry and music and art and film too, is when we're experiencing pain. And we can go to these reference places and we can watch people move through those emotions in their own way. And it helps give us perspective and strength and tools with which to go through our own, I think. Oh, I think it's spot on. You know, I think, um, you know, being alone can be very, very difficult in whatever you're dealing with or experiencing. And you're often trying to find some way to identify. And that could be with a friend or that could be a family member or that could be through art and music. This has been like the sweetest playlist, as I mentioned, but also like just an incredible conversation. I feel like we could do this a hundred times. I would love to. James Blake is your last choice and a song called Say What You Will. So I'm very curious um, because this definitely has a different vibe than a lot of the other songs on here. So tell me about this one. This song's also from my cool brother, Levon. And it's also art about art, to me at least, in my interpretation of it. Um, This is the newest one that's been added to this list. My brother sent this to me a couple weeks ago and I think I'd called him sort of seeking advice and counsel about dealing with the amount of feedback that you get as a creative in today's day and age. I feel like back in the day, whenever the day was, but back then... Nobody knows when the day was. um, No one knows when the day was, but I feel like, in my imagination anyway, you'd like make art, you'd put it out, you'd read the reviews if you hated yourself, and then that would be it. 
And it would be over other than maybe people coming up to you on the street. But for the most part, the only people who would come up to you on the street, unless you really messed up, were people coming to you being like, you suck, you know? Um, you'd have to really mess up to have people come up to you like that. And now we live in this kind of culture of, if you go and look for it, there's so much feedback. Like, even though the connection that you make with fans and like the people who came to my shows and made me books and like drew pictures and illustrated songs of my, like, that's amazing. That level of connection is amazing, but it's, that's more in person. It's more tangible, but this sort of like, I don't know. It's just a lot of feedback, positive and negative in them. Neither one is particularly good for you, I think, which is not very original thought, but, and I was complaining to my brother about it. And he sent me this song, Say What You Will by James Blake in response to my complaints. Well, I've been normal. I've been ostracized. I've watched through a window as my young self died. I've been popular with all the popular guys. I gave them punchlines. They gave me warning signs. If you type your name into the Twitter search bar or like read your DMs or there's so many outlets blogging, writing about things, giving you feedback on your creations and performances. And I'm okay with the life of the sunflower. And I'm okay with the life of a meteor shower. So say me what you will. Some of it is amazing and makes you feel good, but of course you can't, you don't really hear any of that, you only hear the negative. And you can read a thousand people saying that you're nice, and one that says you're an ass, and you leave and you go, oh my god, everybody hates me, <laughs> you know? Or my favorite thing that I read online sometimes is like, people will be like, why is everyone saying that Maya Hawk sucks so much? Like, she's great. And I'm like, where are they saying she sucks? Like, I didn't see, I just saw the, She's where, and of course I should stop doing that. How do you stop doing that though? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. I can find my way with no superpowers. I can take my place without becoming sour. I might not make all those psychopaths proud. At least I can see the faces. I might not make those psychopaths proud, but I can see the faces of the smaller crowd. I gave them punchlines, they gave me warning signs. This kind of reflection on both kind of the feelings of trying to fit in socially in an environment, and then trying to fit in socially and artistically in the kind of more global environment, and how those two things both interact and separate and can make you feel equally alone. I think that's the job of the songwriter to do what you're just saying, because if you can take a lyric like that and you can explain how it affected you and how it has meaning to you, that songwriter has done their job. It doesn't matter what the songwriter's intent was because it connected, it reached someone. I completely agree. It's like just such good poetry and is witty as well as being 
deeply devastating. James Blake has such an out-of-pocket, like, insane control over his voice, like an opera singer or something, like, just the way that he goes and holds that note with vibrato for so long and then, like, concentrates it and, like, steadies the sound. It's just, you know, we think about his songwriting so much because it is so extraordinary in his production, but vocally, is so impressive. I think that gets lost, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I remember the first time I saw James Blake, it was outdoors, and I felt every note like kind of rush through my chest because of just how big and thick everything was. But you do kind of forget, like, oh, wow, no, there's there's a vocal quality here that is really impressive and not easy to replicate. No, not at all. And I think because all the other pieces are so impressive as well, and in some ways more uncommon, but it's still, I mean, I'm so moved by his voice. This was amazing, start to finish. Thank you, Maya, so much. I would encourage you, if you have the time at some point, to do a part two down the line. I'd love to. I could do songs I wouldn't have found without my enemies. Oh, that is the perfect inverse of that, so I love that idea. But Maya, thank you, really, this was amazing. Well, thank you for having me, and um, yeah, I'll come back anytime. An 8-track conversation with Maya Hawk, with big thanks to Maya for the time, and we're definitely hoping for part two someday. Just one more episode to go this season, and we've got two guest DJs for the occasion, Amelia Meath and Nick Sanborn of Sylvanesso. 8-track is engineered by Jim O'Hara and produced by Sarah Wardrop, with theme music by Caroline Rose. Subscribe, listen, and learn more at 8trackpod.com. I'm Russ Boris for WFUV in New York.